Uh, if you have your Bibles this morning, we are going to be in the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. Uh, just recently, um, after, I don't know, maybe a year or two of my children praying, we got a dog. I was so excited because in, uh, we rent in London, and in our contract it said it's prohibited, it's prohibited to have dogs. And every night for six months, my little Eden and all my other my, my my two boys would pray that God would change his heart, and he would let us get a dog, and that God would change Daddy's heart. <laughs> And so we got this dog, uh, it's half Cocker Spaniel, half Poodle. They call it a Cockapoo in England. And we get, this little crazy dog is always bouncing around. Every now and then when I'm just tired of him jumping or biting or peeing somewhere, I, I just grab him and I put him in a headlock and the kids call it doggy prison. <laughs> and my, our dog doesn't really bark very much, it howls. And so when he's in doggy prison, you'll just hear this, arr, arr, arr. But I'm bigger than him. I'm stronger than him. And I don't care about those howls. And the kids are pleading with me, please, Daddy, let him go. Let him go. Let him go. And I tell them no. You see, there's something about him being stuck and knowing that there's no way that he can get out. And he just howls and howls. And I think about that every now and then because some of us just feel stuck and tired and we're just howling. Maybe you do it through alcohol or through drugs or through complaining or, or maybe just through Netflix, but you're stuck. And you know you want more for your life, but you sort of feel like Man, I don't know how to get loose. If you've ever longed for freedom, for liberation, for help, read with me, brothers. Chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all of those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it's not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come as men in need. And some of us are so needy, we don't even know that we're needy. But a lot of us are just tired. And we feel so stuck and we want liberation. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come. And we pray that you would do the work that only you can do. That you would make us new. And make us free. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen.
Uh, I took a very long flight over here, and I watched a movie called Harriet, which is based on Harriet Tubman. She was a slave that uh, was going to be auctioned off, and she made a run for it, leaving her husband. And she was gone, and she traversed over a hundred miles, and through all this very difficult road she made it. I mean, I just can't imagine on the run as a slave for a hundred miles. And upon liberation, she got a job and she found advocates and she found people that would be behind her and with her and she was liberated. And she was so excited, it took her an entire year and she came back to go get her husband. And when she saw her husband, he looked at her with disbelief and a bit of sadness. After they had embraced, he said, I thought you were dead. And she said, but look at me, I'm alive. Come with me, come with me. And she, he said, I'm sorry, I thought you were dead. They told me that you had drowned. And she said, but I'm here, it's okay, come with me. And he said, I've taken another wife. And I have a baby on the way. I'm sorry. And as I'm sure you could think for your own life, he was so dumbfounded by this. But then she was in this bewilderment of what will my life be? Because she had in some way, she had died. Her old life was dead. And so she thought to herself, then I'm going to go get the others. And so for the next years, she liberated, as their liberating champion, hundreds of slaves. Hundreds. And she became famous in the Underground Railroad as the only, as the only captain, they called them, where not one was lost. Not one. Even when they had to go all the way up to Canada, not one was lost. You see, it was by her death that she liberated others. In this passage, we see that God himself, that the Lord Jesus is our liberating champion. That he is our liberating champion. And because he is our liberating champion, we must be a liberating champion for others. You see, as we follow Jesus, we must follow him into the dark to go get others. But there's something about liberation. We love it on the one hand. We love the idea of freedom. And we love the idea of liberation. But we don't like the idea of someone saying, come follow me. You see, we love what that liberator can do for us. But we just want to use him so that we can be him. And the temptation oftentimes is, do I really need one? You know, being stuck and being tired, maybe it's just a part of the world. I should just accept it. In this passage, it says many things, but I want to start with three different questions. What does Jesus liberate us from? How does he liberate us? And what does it look like to be liberated? Number one, what does he liberate us from? Number two, how does he liberate us? And number three, what does it look like to be liberated? Number one, what, what does he liberate us from? You can read with me in verse 14. 
Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has power over death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. He delivers us and he liberates us from the devil. Now that doesn't get a lot of fanfare. Because we sort of think, when we think about the devil and the fear of death, we sort of think, are we in the 21st century? Who talks about the devil? Well, the Bible talks a lot about the devil. And as to quote my good friend on Usual Suspects, the greatest trick the devil ever did was convincing the world he didn't exist. You see, there's something about our Western world. G.K. Chesterton said, True democracy means that the dead people get to count as well. So, listen, in a very small part of our world, in a very small cultural moment, in a very small number of people, we think that the devil is not real. But dead people count. Arabs count. Indians count. You see, they don't have a problem with the devil. Not one bit. And they're very worried about the devil. But the liberator that we have in our culture, what is the thing that we want more than anything else that will liberate us? For most of us, and dare I say most men, if I can indict us, is money. I was talking to my kids about money and, and why daddy loves it so much. <laughs> and uh, I said, why? Why do we... Why do you guys love money so much? And they said, and I quote, you can get stuff you want. <laughs> you see, how many people in this room have ever heard of a rich person saying money doesn't make you happy? Raise your hand. I mean, very rich people. But you don't have to raise your hand on this one. How many of you think you'd be significantly happier if you had a 20% raise? <laughs> right? You see, we think of, of, of money as it can liberate our desires. The things that we want. I used to work at a homeless shelter, and I said, uh, I, th that's why I yell when I, when I talk. Because <laughs> <laughs> I had to preach every night, and uh, most of the guys were high, or on something, or and suffered a lot of trauma, so I'd always yell. And uh, I said, what would you do with a million dollars? And no one said anything. I was like, okay, guys. And then you get the hookers and the blah, 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 I get this line and all this kind of stuff. And it was great because it was honest. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, money may liberate our desires, but it doesn't liberate us. Uh, the modern philosopher, Billie Eilish, who just won a bunch of Grammys, <laughs> she said in a song, I had a dream. I got everything I wanted, but not what you think. And if I'm being honest, it might have been a nightmare. But we still want it, don't we? We're convinced that it will liberate us. So I'm going to give a persuasive speech on why I think you should believe in the devil. Because what we've done is we've sort of domesticated our faith in such a small explanatory, theoretical, maybe even philosophical way that we've made it so manageable that we are the ones that control it. And then we outsource our longing for awe to marvel. 
right? We outsource our longing. We have to create a new world in Star Wars where there's real evil and there's real good. But what if we just pulled that back into our faith where it belongs? So if I were trying to sell you a home, I'd sell you five reasons on the good news of the devil. Because it's good news. Uh, number one, it depersonalizes evil. It depersonalizes evil. Ephesians 6 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. If your battle is not against your neighbor, or let me put it positively, if your battle is against the devil, your neighbor can be your friend. But if your battle is against your neighbor, he is the devil. Right? It depersonalizes it so you can, in some way, think of it in terms of you don't have to blame anybody anymore. If you depersonalize the evil from your neighbor to the devil, it will free you to a life where you don't have to blame. Number two, it simplifies evil. There's a very sad thing going on in our church community where an elder who's walked beside us for years and years and years is taking legal action against another elder. And it is so painful, and I just, my soul hurts when I think about it. And I was talking to this sort of el older brother in the faith who's he's been the path of so much vitriol. And I, I told, I asked him, I said, how are you doing, brother? And he said, I'm not doing very well. The amount of betrayal is, I mean, if you've been around the world very long, you've been betrayed. And he said, he said this. He said, you know what? It's the work of the enemy. That man is still my friend. You see, it simplifies it and helps you to begin to love your brother. You could actually be more intellectually calm if you simplify evil. Number three, it gives you optimism against evil. It gives you optimism against evil. In this picture here, we are seeing Jesus conquer Satan. If evil in the world is something that you confront and you believe that you've been through faith, united to Jesus, when you walk into and experience evil, you can do it with a twinkle in your eye. Because you know that at the end of time, that old dog is going to die. You see, you have optimism in the face of evil, but it also, number four, it dignifies evil with a voice. Uh, there's an old quote by a preacher, a Puritan, it said, the devil doesn't leave fang marks on your neck. He leaves lies in your heart. He leaves lies in your heart. You see, at times, you have different voices that you will hear in your head. Do you really think all of those belong to you? Every single one of them, really? You see, when, when little kids come to their parents at night, and they say, I'm afraid there's something in my room. 
What is our Western answer for that? No such thing as monsters. There's no such things as monsters. You're the crazy one, four-year-old. <laughs> right? Basically what we're saying. You're crazy. The scriptures dignify those children because evil has a voice. Amen. It has a voice. So if it makes us not blame people, if it makes us intellectually calm, if it gives us optimism, if it makes us a little less crazy, the last reason is that it's the most believable narrative. It's the most believable narrative for our experience. If we are more tempted when we are alone, if we are trapped but not sure by whom, if we have seen actual evil at work, if we know that the thi- as, as Paul says in Romans 7, the things I want to do, that I plan to do, I don't do them. The modern philosopher Kanye West put it best in a song called Hands On. You know, I told the devil that I've been go- I'm going on strike. I've been working for him my whole life. You see, if, if we get liberated from that, we've got a true liberator, a true champion. Because G, if, if he is the real enemy, that it's not the world, the flesh, and bad theology. It's the world, the flesh, and the devil. Then we run to Jesus who liberates us and makes us liberating champions ourselves. In 1 John 4, 4, it says, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Brothers, he liberates us. He liberates us from fear and from the devil. Uh, Verse 16, how does he liberate us? For surely, and let me get my space here, for surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. I love this line. This line's been good for my soul. Because the thing is, the angels are always on tune. They're always on time. If anybody deserves the love and the affection and the attention of God, it's angels. But he says, listen, no, no, no. I don't, I don't help angels. I help the offspring of Abraham, those who through faith receive all the promises that Abraham received. William Lane is a commentator. He, he came up with this idea of this liberating champion. I just, I, the more I think about that idea of what Jesus is like, it's just good for my soul. In Luke 11, it says, it was talking about Jesus and the devil. Jesus goes into this guy's house. He invaded a strong man's fortress. He disarmed the man. He bound him fast, and he robbed him of his spoil. This is the man you want to be linked with. But he doesn't do it as we we think he should. He doesn't do it as as we think all kings should. That you go in, you use force, you conquer. No, Jesus dies. That at the core of our faith is a man who died for his enemies. And we think that he's weak for it, don't we? 
We see him in all these cute photos and all these sweet paintings of mild and meek Jesus. You know why he had to come mild and meek Jesus? Because he became like us. Don't blame him for how he rescues you. But he did it through his death. That there is, to quote Harry Potter, that the greatest power in all the world is the power of self-sacrifice. Friends, there is nothing, there is no greater love than he could do than for him to know the cost, to know the enemy, and that through his death and resurrection, he liberates us. In July of 2008, there was, I don't know if you remember this story about these 13 Thai boys that were trapped in a cave. Just imagine if that was one of your children. That's somebody from your church. So you got all these Brits and all these Thais and all these uh, spelunkers, I think you call them. These, yep. these guys that come down and they know, they know how to go get people. And there was this Thai Navy SEAL. And his job was basically to, to run a line from the top of the water all the way down and put oxygen tanks all the way down. So that as these kids, some of whom I don't even think could swim, as they were coming up, they could take a break and take a breath. And when he fastened that last one, he tried to swim back up to the top. But he didn't make it. He drowned. You see, fastening the way out for those Thai boys cost him his life. The cost of their liberation was his life. Friends, this is what Jesus has done for us. He has, he has laid a pathway. He has done all the work. He has done everything for us to come up to him, to get air, and to finally make it out alive. Friends, this is what he's offering you today. He's offering you something good that you can treasure as Mary does. Treasure it in your heart. How does he liberate us? He dies. And how does he want for you to liberate the world? You have to die. You have to sacrifice your own life. A habitual life full of sacrifice and giving it away is the path of the cross. I remember when I was 24, 25, and I lived in Spain for four years. We've been living in England for five and I'd, I'd been married about a year, and uh, this team in Spain who were working with uh, Muslim immigrants. And I went there, and I was so charmed by everything. And, and I remember telling all these very seasoned missionaries all of my great ideas. Have you ever hired somebody who really knew a lot, but really knew nothing? This was me. And I remember this, uh, just this, Jane is her name, Jane, Tom and Jane, just amazing people in the faith whom I have grown to love. She listened to all of my ideas. Have you ever listened to a four, all of a four-year-old's ideas? You are tired at the end of that. And she said, I'll tell you what Jack Miller said to me, the man who started our organization. She said, you know, at the end of the day, we just want you to come and die. That the fertilizer that grows up from your dead ambitions is going to bring the faith of other people. Let's follow him. Follow him in his ways. How does he do it? He liberates us 
through his death. He liberates us through his death. And we must follow him on the road to Golgotha by laying down our lives, strategically minimizing our strengths, strategically worsening our own prospects so that other undeserving people can know him, can thrive in him. He comes to liberate us from the devil and from the fear of death. He does it by his own death. But what does it look like to be liberated? Verse 18. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Man, this was a good... I've been reading this for a while, and it was yesterday. I, I try to read it over and over again. I saw... Oh, to be godly, to be mature... To be a strong Christian does not mean you are not tempted. We sort of have this strange story, and oftentimes among people in faith, that if you really love Jesus, you wouldn't even struggle with X, Y, Z. Right? You heard this, right? If you really loved him, you wouldn't even have a desire for X, Y, and Z. But what if you do? Yeah, there's still room for you too, Jesus says. There's still room for that, in that level, that level plane at the foot of the cross. There's still room for you. What does it look like to be tempted? What does it look like to be liberated? It looks a lot like being tempted. And to battle. And to battle on with that same liberated champion who has pledged his allegiance to you. C.S. Lewis has this great quote. He says, Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. We never find out the strength of the evil impulse in us until we try to fight it. And Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is also the only man who knows to the full what temptation means, the only complete realist. It looks like a battle-worn man and woman who love the liberating champion of God. You see, we have a twinkle in our eye when we approach evil. Because we know, we know it's going to lose. <laughs> there was a, a buddy of mine who was sharing the gospel with a Satanist the other day. And he was like, why did you choose Satanism? Because he lost. <laughs> But if we, as men, we begin to have power over our own desires, not because of the strength in us, but in the strength with whom we love the most, and then we live a life full, full of confidence and little by little shaking off the shackles of fear. I have a five-year-old named Boaz who is an outlaw, and I love him. And we, uh, when he was three, I started playing games with him one-on-one. -on -one. And we had a bit of a catechism that we'd go back and forth with. I would say, he would say, Daddy, do you want to play a game? And I would say, only if you want to lose. <laughs> Candyland generally was the game. <laughs> and, and I would say, he would say, Daddy, I'm going to crush you like a bug. And I would say, Boaz, after this game, you're going to be in the fetal position crying in the corner. Are you sure you want to play with Daddy? 
And then he would go like this. <laughs> and then I would go like this. <laughs> and so the thing is, he got so used to me, the back and forth, the back and forth, that when he didn't know somebody <laughs> very well at all, or if he would run ahead of us on a walk in a park, he would go up to somebody and go like this. <laughs> you just imagine these two cute, like, 21-year-old women walking by, and they just, and he, they're like, oh, hi, little one. He's like, oh. <laughs> and, and my wife would apologize for it, but I wouldn't. <laughs> I love the thought of that which is foreign and that which is scary and that which is wrong. We threaten. Because we know that there's always a time stamp on evil. That if we embrace this foreign kingdom of God and bury it in our heart, that there is nothing, neither heights nor depths, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. Not even the devil himself. Living a life of liberation is living this life full of temptation and yet full of the power of Christ. Don't you want to live a life like that? Don't you want to live a life following our liberating champion that who has power over the fear of death, that uses the strategy of sacrificing himself instead of others, and that this life that's full of temptation, that we actually have a twinkle in our eye when we confront the evil in our own life and the evil in our family and the evil in our culture and the evil in our church, we know that one day it will all be over because we serve a liberating champion who has called us to be the same. He has called you to liberate your community, to be a champion. And your strategy must be you die because we as followers of Jesus know we know that in our death, we are only rewarded. If every time you give up what you long for the most in this life, and Jesus' words say, oh, I'm going to reward you. In this book of Hebrews, it says, you must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Death is only a good option if you know on the other side of it is a reward. Follow in the footsteps of Jesus, brothers, and live a life as he did as our liberating champion. Let's pray. Give us courage to believe the things that are true, Lord Jesus, and to hate the things that aren't. Help our lives to be a string of failures and not capitalizing on all the things that we could be so that others would enjoy the sunshine of your favor. Forgive us for the smallness of our affection for you and help us to have eyes open to see all of the love you have for us. Pray in the name of Christ. Amen.